You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen. Well, good morning, Harvest. You can grab a seat now. And as you do that, if you would turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going to be in a message on prayer. My name is Mike, and I'm the campus pastor at Harvest, the Harvest Newmarket campus. And we're excited to get launched in the early new year, God willing. Uh, so I got a question for you as you turn there, and as we look at, uh, at a message really on prayer, uh, the question is, uh, why is prayer so difficult? Why is prayer so difficult? You ever feel like it is? You ever feel that? For sure, right? We, we all feel that. We feel, we feel the difficulty of prayer. Uh, someone once uh, told me that uh, prayer is, is the hardest thing that we do. It's probably true, isn't it? It's probably true because, you know, prayer isn't all that flashy, is it? You know, it's something that, that takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of hard work and discipline and, and, and efforts, and we got to do it even when we don't feel like doing it and all those kinds of things. Uh, not the flashiest thing that we do, but we find it hard to pray, don't we? We find it hard to pray with regularity. You ever notice this? Like, man, I, I, I had a pretty good day yesterday, but um, the week before that, kind of brutal. I was really off my game there. Uh, didn't really pray a whole lot. We have a hard time praying with regularity. How about passion? We have a hard time praying with passion. Like, man, it's just so dry. And, and I'm having such a hard time here. It's such a grind. And it's, it's difficult. Some people have a hard time praying alone. You ever notice this? Start praying alone and your mind starts to wander. And, and pretty soon you're thinking about other things and then you're doing other things. And, and prayer is long gone. It's in the rearview mirror. And uh, you're on to something else. A lot of people have a hard time praying with others. Some of you would feel that for sure. You think about praying uh, at small group when you have a small group prayer time or, or, uh, or maybe on a, at a prayer night, you know, standing in front of a microphone. Like, forget it. I, I'm not doing that. I don't want people to hear me pray. I'm not comfortable with that. Some of us have a hard time praying uh, with those that we are closest to, family members, uh, you know, husband, wife, with your kids even, the ones that we're supposed to know the best. And for whatever reason, we just feel, I don't know, we feel kind of awkward about, about praying with people. And as Christians, if, if we're honest, and I really hope that we all are here this morning, if we're honest, we can often feel like our prayers are just, they're just ineffective. Right? Like is, is God doing anything? just feel so powerless. I don't feel like anything is, is happening at all. It's probably safe to say here, if I were to ask all of you, um, we would probably all admit that we could do with a lot more um, power in our prayers, a lot more oomph to it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. just want to be clear off the top here. I'm really not interested in making you or anyone feel terrible or, or, or piling up the guilt trips about your prayer habits, right? Can we, just, can we just be done with that? Like making ourselves, making other people feel terrible? I don't think that's what the Lord wants uh, here today. You think, he, he think he's up there being like, man, you're the worst at prayer. Get better. He's, he's not saying that at all. He's not trying to put burdens on you. Prayer is supposed to be a joy. And so we need to understand that 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 guilt and, and shame, those are, those are really poor motives for lasting growth right? in any area. It just doesn't work. 
You, you, you might leave here today because you're guilty and be like, I'm going to take three days off work and only pray, right? Because you feel guilty. But by this afternoon, you're going to be like, man, I don't feel so bad anymore. So you're not going to change and you're not going to do anything about it. So it's got to go beyond um, grow, uh, guilt and shame for sure. If we want to grow in this area, and I hope you do, let's just do two things. Okay, two things. First of all, let's just concede that prayer is tough, right? It really is tough. And so let's stop with the, the beating ourselves up about it and let's let, uh, let ourselves off the hook a little when it comes to prayer. It is difficult. The Lord knows that it's difficult. We have a flesh that's warring against the spirit and it makes things like prayer uh, hard. So let's just con- concede that. And then let's do this. Let's lean into the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just press into him because really it's, it's his power at work in us that makes prayer powerful. Amen? Right? It's not about you and I, you know, flexing our muscles and being like, hey, I'm, I'm a powerful prayer. It's all about me. It's not about you. It's not about me either. It's about the Lord at work. That's what makes prayer so awesome. And I think that's what we really see here modeled for us in Acts chapter 4. All right, so where are we going today? Where are we going? It's going to be up on the screen here. Just thought we'd get it right out in the open. This is all in your notes, by the way. And uh, we're going to pull it all apart as we go. But, but here it is. My prayer life will be powerful when I realize how desperate my situation is. But I know that God's in control of it all as I boldly engage in the mission. In the mission. All right, why don't you go ahead and stand up now. Uh, we're going to read this passage. We're going to honor the Lord and his word as we do that. So Acts chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place, with, uh, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, you are awesome. God, and we come before you as people who desperately need you. Lord, we need you for, for everything. God, we, uh, we recognize that none of us are hitting it out of the park when it comes to prayer. We could all do with more power. We could all use more of your presence, more of your Holy Spirit magnified in us. So God, would you have mercy on us? Would you give us a fire and a passion, a desire to pray bold prayers, to pray in a way that, that you glorify the name Jesus Christ? Lord, it is all about you. And so to you, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. And uh, we're just going to jump right into this now. Uh, Here's the first thing. My prayer life will be powerful 
when I realize how desperate my situation is. Realize how desperate I am. Take a look at verse 23 here. We're going to go through this now. It starts off, it says, when they were released. All right, stop right there. When they were released from what? I mean, what's going on here? Let me give you uh, a bit of an overview of, of Acts and what we've looked at so far, what's been, been covered in, in chapters 1 to 4. In the first chapter, we see Christ, and he has come to the end of his earthly ministry with the disciples. Come to the end of it, and, and we all know, you know what he had done. And so he, it says that he ascends into heaven, and he leaves his disciples there with, the, with their marching orders. Remember what those are? Basically to make more disciples. He's like, go multiply yourselves. And I love what he says here. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And that's what he says. And so they know what their plan is. They know what they got to do. In chapter two, we see the promised Holy Spirit come in power and fall on the disciples. And, and that is their power. That is their energy to perform the task that God has called them to. The same thing goes for us. It's not about us trying to figure out and find some strength within us and digging deep within ourselves to carry out the mission of Christ. No, it's the Holy Spirit. And that's where he came for the first time in the disciples in a powerful way. And, and after that, Peter, he ends up preaching, I think it's one of the most hardcore sermons ever. And he's, uh, he's got a, a whole bunch of people around him. And many of them, you got a picture that, that this was shortly after Christ had, had been killed and and he had risen from the dead, and he'd had a little bit of time with them before he ascended. And he's got all these people there, and he says, he's like, you guys are the ones that killed Jesus. Right? Pretty bold. Pretty bold. Not very seeker-sensitive at all, what he says. And, but what happens is a whole bunch of people get saved through all of that. 3,000 people turn their lives to Jesus Christ. And the church, it begins to grow. And more than, more than just grow in numbers, they begin to unite together and they're meeting together in each other's homes and they're caring for each other's needs and taking care of the least of those people. And, and, and the, the fellowship and the community, it's really starting to become established. And it's this amazing work that God begins to do. And then you might remember in chapter three, remember the story of the, the lame beggar and how he is healed, and Peter and John go to him and tell him to get up, and he's healed. It's this amazing thing. It gives, it gives Peter another opportunity to preach Christ. It's the same kind of hard-hitting message, and, and people are like, what do we do? He's like, repent. And so what happens is another bunch of people get saved. Only this time in chapter 4, the religious leaders, oh, they didn't like it. Not at all. And they get their backs all up and, and they get in Peter and John's face and they arrest them and they threaten them. They're like, don't talk about Jesus anymore. You know, you're really messing with the way we do things. And we don't want to hear about this. And they think they're going, uh, that Peter and John are going against the Lord. They don't realize that they're actually the ones doing that. And so that really brings us to verse 23. Right? The released, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends, this is the other disciples and their families, and, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, what you really need to do is, is you need, really need to put yourself at the scene here. Okay, pretend that you're there living it and, and breathing it. Imagine the sights and the sounds and the smells and, and picture the intensity of everything uh, that's happening here in this, uh, in this scene. Okay, Peter and John, they just had this, this absolutely wild experience of proclaiming the gospel. And, and it says that, uh, that the Lord uses them. Right? These just regular guys, nothing special about them. They're just, they're just fishermen. And God uses them, and he uses them to bring, it says, 5,000 people to Christ. 
So it's 3,000 first, now five, which is just wild. Can you imagine that if that happened here? If this happened in Markham? Right? We get so pumped as a staff whenever like one person gives their life to the Lord. And there's always emails that go back and forth. And I mean, you got to see these emails between the staff. You've never seen so many like emojis and exclamation points. It's crazy. Everyone's so fired up. One person came to Christ. That's what it's all about. Imagine 5,000 and how Peter and John and the disciples, they would have been feeling about this. You know, the Lord said something was going to happen and bam, it started to happen. And like, man, but do you think they had time to, to celebrate that and, and rejoice? No, not really. Not really, because they started being persecuted. And not just by like some guy standing on the street like, hey, I don't like you. It wasn't like that. It was like these powerful, intimidating religious leaders. These guys had all the power. And they were the ones coming down hard on them. It would have been kind of a freaky situation for these guys. I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen next. They understood that the Lord was working and that was incredible and they loved that. But but were they going to be thrown in prison again? Were their their families going to be dragged off? Were they going to be beaten? Were they going to be killed? Can you imagine the the concern that they would have had? Because of all this, it was creating an uproar. It was no small thing. Listen, their situation, desperate. It was desperate. They knew it. What did it do? It drove them to prayer. It drove them to prayer. They're like, Lord, help us. God, we need you now. You know, we just sang that song. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. It's really, it's one of my favorites. I've had it in my head all week. But do we really, truly believe that? That we need the Lord every hour I need you? Do we live like that? I mean, for sure, we all have, you know, trials and circumstances that, that happen and, and, and they get thrown in our face. And it's a, it's a reminder of our daily, moment by moment, hour by hour need of the presence of, of Jesus Christ. That's what trials do. It's a big part of it. You know, and the disciples were absolutely feeling that right now in chapter four. And I know some of you are feeling that here this morning. You're bringing your problems with you to church. You can't just leave them at the door. Life's hard. You don't know what you're going to do. The stress is mounting. The fear is gripping you. You might feel like hope is slipping away. Do you trust the Lord? Do you realize that you need him moment by moment? Again, we do when life's tough. But what about when life's good? What about when life is, is calm? Do we really need the Lord any less in those moments? I mean, honestly, do we? We don't, but do we, do we live like that? Oftentimes we don't live like that, do we? I mean, we, we would never say like, Lord, you know, uh, today, yesterday was bad and I really needed you and today's a lot better, so, you know, take the weekend off. We would never say that, but kind of functionally, practically speaking, we can live like that. We act like we're so self, uh, self-sufficient and then what begins to happen to our prayer life? It begins to lag. It becomes more infrequent and, and longer gaps between the times that we pray. And then when we do pray, they're, they're kind of surfacy and we're, we're sensing kind of the powerlessness of, of all of it. And, and it's not really what it should be. Okay, so how do we live in that place of, of a constant awareness of our need for the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we get there? 
Is the answer to, to stress ourselves out and to get worked up emotionally and anxious and, man, my life isn't that great and I can't control anything and, Lord, I need you. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's what the Lord wants us doing. Trials will do that to us enough. We don't need to add to it. All right, it comes down to, comes down to this, a deep heart realization. And that comes as you grow in maturity that no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what life holds, it might be the best day you've ever had, might be the worst day you've ever had. No matter what, we need Christ so bad. We need him. Well, what do we need him for? Lots. We need him for wisdom. You feel that? And I need the Lord for wisdom. I don't know what's going on. We, I mean, we all have life situations, life decisions facing us. Daily. I mean, we're going to leave here in, in a few moments and we're going to be faced with the reality of a busy, crazy, out of control life. Lord, what do I do? I need you. I need help. I need wisdom. We need wisdom when it comes to parenting. Amen. Right? Like I, I, had to, I have this little baby and, and now they're a, they're a crazy tyrant of a two-year-old and I don't know what to do with this. And someday they're going to be a teenager. God, I need help. I need wisdom. We need wisdom in our marriage as well. How can I lead my wife? How can I support and love my husband? Right? Any relationship. How do I handle this situation with that person? How do I say that tough thing I need to say? How can I encourage that guy or that girl? We need wisdom. We also need God to protect our mind and our heart and our eyes from wandering into things that they shouldn't wander into. And I feel that all the time. I feel the weight of it, the burden of it. I hate that. We need God. We need his strength. We need his Holy Spirit. I love what um, John Calvin said. He said that our hearts are idle factories. They're idle factories. It means we, we constantly manufacture idols, these things that we worship, that we bow down to, things that we think we need. And more on, on top of that, we replace Christ with them. Right? We, need the, we need the Lord so that our hearts, minds, and eyes don't wander off into these kinds of things. We need his power to obey just the simplest of commands. The simplest ones. Take love your neighbor, for example. Pretty straightforward, right? Just love people. Yeah, but what about the neighbor? What about the guy who's got the, the leaf blower and he keeps blowing his leaves in my yard? Right? I hate that guy. Gotta love him too. Right, we do. We can't do it on our own. We need the Lord for that. We need his Holy Spirit at work. We also need reminding that he is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. We are not. We don't produce our own righteousness within us. We often think that we do. We think that good behavior, acting a certain way, that makes us good. It doesn't. The Bible says that our, our, our good deeds are filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. He is our righteousness. The moment you get saved, you receive that. And that's who you are now. You're righteous through Christ. But our hearts forget that. We need reminding. Listen, if you know how badly you need the Lord, I mean, you really know it. You've got that locked in. You'll pray. You really will. You will pray. And I mean, those are, that, I mean, that's where power is in prayer. When you are needy. It's because we're humble. Because we've been humbled James 4, uh, verse 6 says that, that God gives grace to the humble. I love that. And God's grace at work in our lives, that's what we're trying to tap into, and that's where the power is. 
And that's what we want. That's what we need. We need his grace. So it makes prayer powerful. Okay, prayer will be powerful when I realize I'm desperate. Here's the second thing, but know that God's in control of it all. God's in control of everything. All right, let's take a look at verse 24 now. It says, and when they heard it, so that's the group of disciples, they heard Peter and John's report. It says that they lifted their voices together to God. That's amazing. Don't miss that. Their first reaction, their first reaction is what? To pray. Their first reaction is to pray. How many of us, our first reaction is to do anything but pray? Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and fix it myself, or I'm going to go to that family member or that friend who's really wise, and I'm going to try and get them to help me. And, you know, none of that worked. Well, I guess I, I, guess I better pray now. No, prayer should be the first step. We should be praying early. We should be praying often to the Lord. What does it, what does it say as we keep going? Lift their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. We'll come back to that. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they go into Psalm chapter 2 here. Uh, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against against the Lord and against his anointed. And then they said, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Hey, according to this verse, who's in control of the universe and everything in it? It's not me. It's not you. It's not kings and queens and governments and all of that. It's the Lord. And it's God. Verse 24, I said we'd come back to it. It's, it says that he's sovereign. You may want to underline that. It means that he is the predominant, supreme, self-determining, absolute being. He created everything. Nothing happens without his express oversight and direction. I love verse 28 because it even talks about how the death of Christ was predestined. That that seemed like a mistake to you? Because it wasn't. What do you mean? God knew that mankind would sin before the creation of the world. He knew that he had to put a a rescue plan into place. He predestined the fact that he would be betrayed by Judah and he'd be led away and died on a cross. He prophesied about it in the Old Testament. God knew the whole thing was part of the, the game plan. He predetermined everything that takes place. He continues to. Now, I know that makes some people feel uncomfortable. But hey, don't reject the doctrine of predestination just because you can't wrap your mind around it completely. Join the club. I don't know how, I I don't understand every single nuance of it. There's some mystery to it. I don't get that, you know, somehow I have a will and and I I can make decisions and do things, but, but at the end of the day, all of that operates underneath the umbrella of the sovereignty of God, and he predetermines everything? Right? I don't know how it all works, but it does. That's what the Bible, that's what the Bible says. Okay, neither should we try and explain predestination away, which is a common thing within 
Christianity these days. And we do that because we try to make ourselves feel better about the illusion that we're the ones in control. We're not. At the end of the day, you boil it right down, either God's in control or we are. You can't, you can't have it both ways. The Bible says that he is. He's in control. Our job is, is to believe it and to live like it. To live like it. I would also say this. Don't just, don't just put up with predestination. Right? Well, I, I've read it in the Bible, so I guess I can't skip over it. And fine, he predestines things and, and you know, grudgingly accepting it. Don't be like that. Rejoice in it. Be pumped about it. God is in control of everything. He's got your life, man. Like he's, he's got it all figured out. It's an amazing thing. Celebrate it. Praise the Lord for it. You worship a God who's got this. Nothing's catching him off guard. Oh man, I didn't know he'd make that decision. He did. He's in control. I mean, the disciples, they, they really understood this and their prayer here is a recognition of all of that. Right? They got it. They knew that, that life was, was totally nuts. And again, they didn't know if they were going to end up dead or imprisoned or something. They knew that nothing, nothing was happening outside of God's loving plan. They knew that. And church, there is just nothing like prayer when you understand that God is in control of everything. There's nothing like praying from that kind of a position. Why? Well, because you can chill out, right? You can relax. Man, like, God, you know, my kid is going off the rails and I don't know if I'm going to keep my job and, and everything is all over the... God knows. He knows. He's in control. Doesn't mean we just get lazy and lax and throw caution to the wind. It doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. But you can relax. You can trust the Lord. The anxiety, the doubt, the fear that so easily grips our hearts, that can be gone because you know what? I trust that my God is powerful. My God is good. And he's doing everything. Here's another thing we can do when we believe that God's in control. We can pray big prayers. We can pray big prayers. You know, how often are our prayers just so small? So small and so me-centered. I'm so guilty of this. Lord, I just pray that my day would go well today. What does that even mean? My day would go well. It just shows that all I care about is just having an easy life. Right? Let's pray big prayers. Let's think outside of that box a little bit. Let's pray that God would do a great thing in my heart. Pray that God would do a great thing in my family's heart, in our church, in our neighborhood, our communities, our cities, our, our country. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that God would move in power. Let's think outside ourselves a little bit. God can handle it. He can handle the big prayers. He wants you to pray that kind of thing. He can do way more than you can even think. Let that blow your mind. Because I can think about a lot of pretty cool things. He can do way more, way more. It's Ephesians 3. Another thing we can do when we pray, realizing that God's in control, is we can give him all the glory when he does work. Right? When he moves in power, we know that it's him and he's the one orchestrating all of this. We're going to be less likely to be like, man, I rule. I prayed the best prayer and God came through and that's because of me. And I'm so mature. Right? We're not... <laughs> we do that though. That's what our hearts do. If we don't believe that God's in control, 
acts of God originate with the Lord, and he loves us to pray. It doesn't happen because you're all that great. It happens because God is, and you know it's really all him at work. All right, my prayer life will be powerful when I realize how desperate my situation is, but know that God's in control of it all. And the last thing here, as I boldly engage in mission. I boldly engage in the mission. Check out verse 29 now. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, and this is the, this is the disciples. This is their crew. They're gearing up. They're getting ready. They say, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, listen to this, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Speaking of the power of God. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. Incredible. But here's what I love about their prayer. Here's what I love about their prayer. It's what they don't ask for. Did you catch that? What they don't ask for is, is, is they're not like, they're not like, Lord, we just want our lives to be safe and easy again. God, God would you protect us from the pain and the problems and, and all the persecution? Would you, would you just rescue us out of all of that so we don't have to deal with it, we don't have to face it? They don't pray for that. What do they pray for? Boldness, right? To keep going. Say, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you, Lord, continue to stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they want. They're like, Lord, make us more faithful. Give us more energy. Give us strength to carry on this mission and to keep going. Give us courage, Lord, to carry out your plan. Lord, use us to do more. That's what they want. And I mean, that right there, that is the sweet spot of powerful prayer. That's the sweet spot. You know, when you're so kingdom focused, you're so mission minded, that you're not like, whoa, Lord, like we've gone too far here. You know, I'm kind of, I was comfortable and, and now we've just started to go outside of that. And if we could just, I've seen you do enough. You know, I'm kind of done with all of that. But let's dial it back a notch, Lord. No, there's, there's none of that in you whatsoever. No, you're, you're like, it's on now, Lord. Right, because you've, you've had a taste of what he's done. It's kind of like you go to someone's house and have a little piece of dessert. You have a taste of it. Are you happy with that little sliver of pie? No. No, you want more. You're like, here, take the little sliver. I'll, I'll have the rest of the pie. Because ha- you, you want more. You, you know what it's like. And you want more goodness. Right? That's what it's like when we start to be on mission. We start to pray. We want God to do more. Lord, do so much more. Like, let's, let's do the chin strap up. Like, let's strap in. Let's do this. Let's get after it. Yeah, that was the early church. That was their mentality. That's what they were all about. Is that our church? Is that us here? What do you think? You know, as we think about the, the mission of God and the one that he's entrusted to us here at Harvest York Region and, and God willing at the New Market campus, 
Are we engaged in it? I mean, really. I don't mean just like, are we, are we in, in bodily form fulfilling a task? There are our hearts, our spirits, our minds, our passion, and our energy and time. Are we engaged? Are we locked into this? Listen, mission drives a powerful prayer life and vice versa. He put it this way. Your prayer life will always be lame if you're not boldly engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples. Okay, let's flip that around. Your mission will always be lame if you're not praying with boldness. Right? We love to try and separate those things. I want to pray boldly, but I don't really want to be on mission. And I want to be on mission, but I don't really have the time to pray. Can't do it. You can't separate those, those two things. One won't happen effectively without the other. So we've really got to ask ourselves a few things here. Is my, is my weak prayer life at least partly to blame because I'm not involved in kingdom work? I'm not engaged in the mission. Is that the reason? You know, maybe, maybe you're not really involved at, at church here. You know, you come and, and you receive teaching and, and you, you worship a bit, but, but you're, not, you're not in. You know, you're not, you're not engaged in a small group. You better believe that that being in a small group and, and investing your time and your energy there and your heart, that's the mission. Taking care of people, bearing burdens, as Jason talked about last week, that's the mission. Are you involved in that? Are you serving in, in some way? There's a lot of work to be done. We need everyone involved. Are you just kind of coasting on the efforts of other people? How about in your community? in your community? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people that you work with? Are you engaged in mission on some level there? How about at home? What are you doing with your kids? Are you raising your kids up to, have a, to, to fear the Lord God? Are you doing that? What's the priority in your home? Is it like, man, my kids better have the best education ever and it's homework 24-7 so that they get they get a good job and they take care of their family and they get to drive the nice car and have a great house, right? If that's it, if that's what you're going for, you're missing it big time. You're missing it. That's not what the Lord cares about most. It's not. It's about discipling your children so that they would go on and increase and make disciples. That we would be the church and that we would be different. That people would see us and that we're different. And recognize that God is at work here. And I want, a, I want a piece of that. So if we're not really engaged in the mission on, on all these fronts, we have to ask why. You know, why am I not? Is it, because, is it because I'm lazy? That's a big one these days. Are, are we lazy? You know, we work so hard at, at work and, and, you know, our, our weekends are, are, are busy because we come to church and, and all of that. And, you know, I just... I don't really want to give anything more to the Lord. And I just want to be able to kick my feet up and, and, and watch a movie for the love, right? We, it's not bad to do that stuff. Don't get me wrong. We all need that from time to time. But, but are, you getting, are you lazy? You're not giving the Lord what, what he deserves. Okay, comfort is a prayer and mission killer. It really is. And we're all affected by it. 
That's North America right there. We just need to be aware of it. We need to be willing to fight against it. How about this? You too busy? Is that a reason you're not engaged? Are we all busy? Yes. We are busy. It's, it's good to be busy. I don't mind being busy. In fact, I kind of like it. And we really should be busy. But sometimes we get so busy that our priorities get all out of whack. And, and I mean, Christians get really uptight about this when pastors start talking about it. Like, man, my life, my life is busy. Get off my back, okay? And, and the kids are in a lot of things. And, and you know, I, I work long hours. And I'm not trying to make you feel terrible about that. I'm really not. But if your life is too busy to be engaged in the mission, the main thing that you were created to do, then there's a problem. And you've got to reprioritize. Well, I can't. Yeah, you can. You can. I know it might be hard, but you can do it. We do what we love to do. Are you engaged in the mission? Maybe for you, you're not because you're not really sure how. For whatever reason, maybe you're, uh, you know, you're brand new in the faith. And you're like, what is mission? I don't even get it. And how do I get involved in a church and serve? And how do I talk to my friends and neighbors about my faith? Now I would just say, if that's you and you're not sure, just talk to somebody. Talk to somebody that you trust. Somebody that's been there before. It can help you and, and, and walk you through. Um, maybe some of you helped, helped uh, bring to light some of your gifts and your strengths. Maybe you don't know what those are. How can I help? How can I be of service? Talk to somebody who can help you out. I and mean, be a church leader here. We would love to help you out with that. Maybe for you, the reason you're not engaged in mission is just simple. It's because you don't know the Lord. You don't know him. And, and you, you, can't, you can't do what he asks you to do until you have a relationship with him. That's got to happen first. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's understanding a few things. First of all, we need to understand that, that we were born sinful. What does that mean? It means that we've missed the mark. What's the mark? The mark is perfection. God is, God is holy. He is perfect. We often try to bring the bar down a little bit to good. Well, I'm pretty good. I haven't killed people and robbed banks, right? Good for you. You haven't done that, right? That's, that's how we feel. Well, the standard's not good. It's perfection. And none of us cut it. We don't reach that mark. And because of our sin, it says that the wrath of God is aimed at us and we deserve an eternity in hell. Now, is that good news or bad news? Probably bad, right? That's not good at all. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life that you and I never could, and died the perfect sacrifice so that sin could be taken care of for good and so that you could know him. Right? Getting saved comes down to admitting to the Lord, really simply, God, I'm a sinner. It's all been against you. Would you forgive me? Would you be my Lord? It's showing that you trust that everything that Jesus did on the cross was enough to secure your salvation. Bam, done, saved. That's what you need to do. Now, for the rest of us, praying with power really comes down to appreciating what we just talked about, the gospel. Appreciate what Christ has done for you. Love it. Spend time marinating in it. Love what God has done. Understand that you don't deserve it. Start to apply that to areas of life that you're not including the Lord in. As you do that and you're humbled and as you grow, your prayer will be powerful. It'll be awesome and you'll love it. So be encouraged. God is at work in you. He's not done with you. No way. He's got a long way to go in me, but I'm glad that he's not done. And he's going to keep going 
He's going to keep bringing glory to himself through it. And I hope that's what we all want. Let's pray. God, thank you for being such an awesome God who loves us, who hears our prayer. Lord, and thank you that we have access to you because of what your son Jesus Christ did on the cross. Lord, that's something that that we never could have done. It wouldn't have been good enough because we're, we're sinful people. And so God, I pray that as we think more and more about the gospel, as we meditate more on what Jesus has done, Lord, would you, would you grip our hearts with that truth? Would you give us a passion to, to know you more, a passion for holiness, a passion to love other people well? God, I pray that as we go out from here, Lord, we'd be encouraged about prayer. That powerful prayer for any one of us is not years away. It can be right now. That's because you are a great God and you are at work. Lord, help us to sense that, to grasp that, and to rejoice in it. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.